Hello and welcome back to Yoga After Dark, the best podcast in the universe. Today I have Tony Lupinacci with me and Tony and I have known each other for several years. Tony's a yoga teacher and now he's living in Portugal. Um, I met him when he was still living in New York City. Uh, interesting thing about me and Tony um, and the way you know things connect in this world, his ex-boyfriend was my best friend's hairstylist and we didn't realize that until we'd known each other for at least a year or something like that and then it all kind of like fell into place and we were like oh we have these connections that we don't actually know about um you know small little world so hi tony how are you <laughs> Hi, Michael. It's so good to see you. Well, I can see you and hear you. We're on a video chat. Um, it's, it's so funny as you were mentioning that because I was thinking about my other ex-boyfriend who, right? who, who you also are friends with, uh, who is not a hairstylist. So I was slightly confused for a minute. Um, but no, Josh is my, he was my first boyfriend. And he is a hairstylist and a lovely person. And it is interesting that that um, connection kind of happened uh, strangely because he is not in the yoga world at all. So it's always fun to connect the dots in New York in that way. Yeah, it's, it is a good time. Tell me, Tony, um, you have been... Uh, you're not traveling so much anymore because, you know, of our uh, extra special time that we're living in right now. But uh, for a while there, you were traveling pretty extensively and teaching a bunch of classes around the world to all kinds of different people. And it kind of, it, to my mind anyway, um, as an observer, it kind of happened all at once. You like packed a bag and boof! Goodbye, Tony from New York City, and now he's in Bali, and now he's in France, and now he's in Spain, and now he's in Italy, and now, ah! Um, how was that? <laughs> how, was, how was traveling so extensively and, and just like teaching and teaching and teaching all of a sudden? You know, it was exactly what I needed. Um, I went through a really dramatic life change when I left Lighthouse, which was my studio that I owned with Jared. And at the time when I left New York, I really had no intention of moving out of New York. And our mutual friend, Allison, threw me a going away party. And I felt at the time, oh, my God, this is so uh, extravagant and kind of silly because I'm just leaving for like a month or two. And then a month or two turned into three, four, six months. Now it's been uh, two years or something or almost two years, and I needed to step out on my own and teach in my own sort of special way with everything that I had accumulated over the years from all sorts of teachers that I've had, like you and Jared and Rose Aaron, and it was really a moment for me to settle into what it is that I think and believe and want to offer to the world. And it was also super exciting because I lived in New York for 20 years. I moved to New York when I was 16 to study acting. 
and I didn't ever leave. I mean, I would go on holiday here or there for a week or two, but I never explored the world in the ways that I really wanted to. And, um, you know, I, I left to go and be with my, my current partner, Anton in Bali. He leads his trainings there and I was teaching some workshops there. And then I did like a whole European thing and, it's really interesting to teach yoga outside of New York for me because I feel like the students outside of New York are much more hungry for the information and much more less discerning, more willing to just smile and nod. I think. So it was a, it was a totally new um, take on teaching and a new way of uh, relating to the students, which was super eye-opening in a lot of ways. In particular, this last training, we strangely just hosted a 200-hour training at Cocoon like two weeks ago, an in-real-life teacher training, which was kind of insane in and of itself. But none of the Americans could come, so it was all Europeans. And the dynamic within the training was wildly different than it ever had been before because the Americans are always talking and asking questions and playing the devil's advocate. And, you know, there's sort of a raucous, like, wild energy that Americans bring. And this was much more proper much more polite, lots of people from Switzerland and Sweden <laughs> and Norway and Germany. And, you know, it was just a different way to facilitate a program, which was, uh, yeah, just fun to experience from a cultural level, I guess. Cool. Yeah, had Mr. COVID not shown up on our door, um, I was supposed to be in Norway right now, actually. Teaching oh, yeah, for your retreats. So, um uh, which I was looking forward to, and hopefully that will happen, you know, next summer. Now everything has just been postponed one year um, in everybody's life, I think. Uh, but I, you know, I, I would agree with you when I go outside of New York City and, and teach other people, it is a very different dynamic. And when I started traveling a lot to teach others, um, I was amazed at how much more I had to sit there and say, okay, you can ask questions now. Please ask me some questions. <laughs> Please, <laughs> let's interact. <laughs> yeah, we, we, had, we had that moment in the, in the first couple of days of this training where we were like, is something wrong? Like, or, and they didn't understand like any of our jokes. It was a completely different sense of humor, a different way of relating. That from their perspective, they were like, yeah, you're my teacher. I paid to learn from you. Of course I'm going to listen. Of course I'm going to take in what you're saying and accept your uh, feedback. You know, there's, that's, what I, that's why I came here, you know? <laughs> it's, it's very fun, very funny. Oh. Um, so tell me, you mentioned um, teaching in your own special way. And, and I, um, I would imagine that you, you really have embodied that for yourself, just knowing you as a, as a person for as long as I've known you. And it is definitely a 
pet peeve of mine when I when I witness performative yoga teaching, mm-hmm. when I witness mm-hmm. somebody somebody who is teaching yoga as if they are on a stage and they are giving some sort of oration, uh, doing some sort of Shakespearean play instead of actually communicating and having a relationship with the people in front of them and also themselves at the same time. Um, and so how, how did you manage to get yourself as someone who moved to New York City to study acting out of the performative mode of doing things and into your own special way of communicating? Well, for me, the reason that I practice uh, is to be okay with myself. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was 23 years old, my mom killed herself and it came as like an incredible shock to me. And even though there was a, a big buildup and looking back on it now, it's not so shocking actually, but I started to see a therapist um, right after that happened and the therapist suggested that I go to yoga. So like a lot of people who get into yoga, I came to the practice as a form of, as a form of healing. And whenever I teach, I, I want to teach from a space where I can maybe help facilitate that for another person. And I know for a fact that it has nothing to do with me and my personality as a person. What I, all I have to do is show up and look at the people and be there to receive whatever they're presenting me with. And maybe I'm directing, you know, physical actions or asking people to breathe into certain places. But I think of myself as more of a conduit or like a blank, blank canvas for people to do whatever they need to with, within, of course, the boundary and the structure of a class or uh, practice or asana or a meditation or mantra or whatever. But yeah, it's super, super important for me not to come from a place of performance or, or to just not make it about me at all. I remember when I first started teaching yoga, I was nervous because I was new. I, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of experience like most people when they're new and I wanted it to be good because I really cared about the practice and I wanted people to have an experience. I wanted to help change someone in some way. And I remember talking to Rose Aaron, uh, who is another mutual friend of ours. And I remember she said, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is show up and be there for people, be of service and, and help them. It really has nothing to do with you as a person. And for me, I, I personally really like coming from that place still. It's, it's really important for me to, to show up and 
try to stay grounded and focused and not um, not in a space of ego or performance. So yeah, that's more or less where I try to come from when I teach. And hopefully that's, that's what happens. You, you say uh, that you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is show up. But showing up is a huge commitment, a huge doing of something. That's um, true. And I would say, actually, that the yoga world has a really big problem with showing up. But the yoga teacher world has a really big problem with showing up. And it's kind of a complicated issue. Um, but I definitely know a lot of yoga teachers that I would category, categorize as not showing up as much as they should. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I guess what does what does showing up mean? You know, is it, is it a consistency? Is it an amount of effort? Is it, what is it? What, what is showing up, Tony? You tell me. I have my opinions. I want to know yours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, showing up for me is, is showing up for my own practice, my own personal sadhana. And, and I know that when I wake up, and I do my meditation and my mantras and I do my physical practice and the pranayama, I've set myself up to be in a position to lead others by example, not by trying to be someone else, not by trying to put on airs of me knowing more than others. Um, but I, I feel deeply that my practice speaks for itself um, without me having to do or say anything. So when I do show up physically, I'm, I'm showing up from a place of integrity, knowing that I've done the work and I can, I can, help, other, I can help other people in that way because I'm, I'm in it too. I'm, I'm also a student, you know. So that's my, that's the, that I think it's the most important thing any yoga teacher can do is their own God damn practice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you're saying it and not me. <laughs> I feel like I've said it to you and countless other people over and over again until I'm blue in the face. And I, I really enjoy having it repeated back to me. That, that just is, that, that is really nice. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for, me for that. You're welcome. That's, that's me sh stroking your ego. As yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. I actually said it to the trainees from this last training on the very last day. I said, you must have a practice. I, 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 I will not say you must do anything, but you must do this. And I, I told them, I was like, it, it's, it's like brushing your teeth. Okay. If you leave the house and you don't brush your teeth and you're talking to all these people with your bad breath. That's like you not having your own practice. It's disgusting. You have to, yeah, and it's like, I was like, you don't have to do the asanas every day. Okay. But you have to sit down every day and somehow connect with yourself. Close your eyes, take some breaths. I don't know, do a meditation, some mantra, write in a journal, something to 
connect you to your center, to your innate inner goodness so that you don't go out into the world and spew all your shit around, like <laughs> clean yourself. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you, and you have to make, you have to make time for it. There has to be an actual time and place for it. Um, I was, I was actually talking to a good friend um, yesterday about this and uh, he didn't realize that we were talking about practice when we were talking about this. He's not, he's not a, he wouldn't refer to himself as a yogi. Um, and, uh, but we were talking about practice and I told him that he has to find a time and a space to do what he does. You know, he has these things that really allow him to connect internally, but he currently does them in a, in a willy nilly fashion, kind of when, when the time strikes him, if you will, when the, when the feeling strikes him. Um, and my recommendation to him was just to make it a more consistent period, you know, choose a time of day, choose a space in the apartment, you know, something of that nature so that it becomes a little bit more special. It becomes a little bit more separate from the rest of the goings on of the generic day, you know? Um, yeah. I agree. You wouldn't, you wouldn't brush your teeth in your living room. You have a, a time and you have a place for the teeth brushing. Same thing with the practice. <laughs> Absolutely. And the other thing that I think is really important is for it to feel like a ritual, an oh. act of devotion instead of a habit or an obligation. So whatever a person can do to make their practice feel nourishing and special and, um, somehow reverent and, and beautiful by whatever, lighting incense or candles, creating an altar, having a special place that you sit that is lovely, you know, instead of, you know, just plopping down and, I don't know, being upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, let's make it lovely, you know? I think it's important. And sometimes, sometimes I think, because uh, I've struggled with that uh, a deal in the past of um, finding a way to make the practice that I do every day a reverential and special period of my day instead of something that I just need to do um, or I'm forcing myself to do. Um, and I've definitely found that uh, every once in a while you gotta you gotta change it up a little bit, change up just uh, either where exactly are or you are, or what time it is, or what the atmosphere is, how you create the atmosphere in some way, um, and that that uh, especially in recent times, um, now that I'm at home so much more than I usually am, has played an important part. <clears throat> can I bring us over to ego for a moment? Because I think you've talked Let's about it, it a couple times already. Um, yeah. How do you get past your your own shit? I mean, like, because you're you're practicing, you know, or you're facilitating a space for people. People are coming to you, and as they, as you said, they're paying you to sit in front of you 
and listen to what you say and accept you as an authority figure on certain things. How do you deal with the inherent power that that bestows upon you? Hmm. I, I don't think that I, I don't think that I have anything to do with this. <laughs> I, I, I honestly have, I'm shocked that I'm a yoga teacher sometimes, mm -hmm. often. And I know that everything that took place in my life literally put me here. Like there's no question in my mind that this is what I must do. And it's not even a choice in some ways. Um, I know a lot of people who really want to teach yoga and I was not one of those people. Um, I know a lot of people who out throughout the trajectory of their career and their studies have pounded the pavement, they've made flyers, they've done this, they've done that, they've like really put in the work to become a yoga teacher and I really didn't. I, a lot of me teaching yoga really was handed to me and it fell into my lap in such a way that I feel like it's a divine message that this is just what I have to do. So, it's still surprising to me sometimes that I am a teacher and not that I don't feel worthy or not that I don't think that there are interesting things that flow through me, but it sincerely never feels like me. I don't feel particularly special um, because of all of the things that I know or the trainings that I've done, but I do, I do think that I am an incredibly sensitive person and a receptive person. And because of that, I'm able to hold space, for lack of a better term, <laughs> for things coming to me, through me, and beyond me. But I really don't think that it's about me. I think it's about, I don't know, an energetic quality that allows me to to share and connect with people. Um, but I, more than anything, I, I think the most important thing for me when I teach is to stay connected to my feet physically, literally, so that I don't, that I don't get nervous or carried away or so that I can stay focused on what really matters, stay focused on the students and to just continue not making it about me, either about how much I know or how nervous I am or anywhere in between. Just staying connected to my feet is this, the most simple thing I can do to be of service to others. <laughs> good, good. You know, I, um, I, was, a, I was a musician. Um, I shouldn't say was, I guess I still am a musician, but, um, you know, I was a singer and back when I was kind of first 
<clears throat> going into the professional world of singing and actually, you know, making a living off it. Uh, my teacher at the time, uh, my voice teacher at the time, told me, um, and kind of offhand, he was like, you know, if you can make money any other way than being a musician, you should, because it's a hard life. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I dropped professional level uh, singing and, um, and then, you know, became a yoga teacher. And when I was in the process of doing a teacher training and becoming a yoga teacher, my the director of that teacher training at the time told me, you know, if you can make money doing anything else besides being a yoga teacher, you should do that. Um, <laughs> and, but then somehow yoga teaching stuck and now I'm like, I'm just in it. Like, cause I, uh, yeah, I can't really figure out how to make money any other way. So I'm <laughs> teaching yoga. <laughs> Um, which, you know, I think is actually a, a blessing, but it, it, you know, it is a, as you know, it is a lot of hard work and it has its ups and its downs. Um, it's not being blissed out all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. and then, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm studying, uh, Jyotish at the moment. I'm studying, uh, the Indian, the Indian version of astrology at the moment. And the person I'm studying from said the most beautiful thing the other day, because of course we're dealing with having to learn online and all of this stuff and money is tight for many people at the moment. And she said, you know, if, if money is the issue, please let me know because I teach whether I get paid or not. <laughs> She's like, I mean, yes, I need to be able to buy lentils to live on. But, you know, <laughs> like in the end, if you're a teacher, you're a teacher and you're going to teach people who earnestly want to learn whether they can actually pay you or not. Because they can pay you in some way. It doesn't have to be monetary. There just has to be an honest exchange about what that means and what's going on. I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. And that, I mean, I think that comes, comes to a, a point of, of Dharma, you know, and, and one's purpose and, and fulfilling the purpose is not related to money, you know, it's, and not everybody has a job that is their dharma or or even particularly aiding in in their dharma but i think that as teachers being of service is really at at the core of what we're doing you know it's like that's the whole point we're here to help people so whether or not the the person can afford the exchange monetarily or or what it it's really it's really not the point the, the point is to just help and teach and serve and I mean there's really nothing more rewarding to me than being able to be with someone and see you know a switch go off in their mind or see a thought change or e even see them do something physically that they couldn't do I mean it 
it's actually remarkable the practice of yoga because by changing our, our breathing by moving in a certain way i think it allows people to think that anything is possible if i couldn't at one point touch my toes and now i can like what else in the world is possible for me and that's one thing that i find really really beautiful about teaching and practicing is that it shows me that things are infinitely possible and it allows me to continue being an optimist which is really nice for me <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would categorize you more of an optimist than me, honestly. But mm. that's not, <laughs> it's not difficult to get more optimism than I possess. So, you know, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very funny because, you know, I'm friends with a lot of yoga teachers. And one of my very, very dear friends teaches alongside my partner, Anton. And he is even more of an optimist than I am. I don't know, maybe we're about the same, but he's more, he's just happier than I am. He operates on like a very happy level and I'm maybe a bit below that <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where, uh, but he feels that the universe is here to support you. The universe is here to support your highest expression of yourself, your growth, your evolution, da, 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 da. And we have another friend who we often teach with and she's like, the universe doesn't give a fuck about you, okay? <laughs> He's like, the universe here to support you. And she's like, the universe doesn't give a shit about you. <laughs> and it's just funny because it's, I think they're both true, you know? I mean, one, one could say both things are true with the exact same amount of passion and um, <laughs> I like the conversation around it and I like that we can come to the practice and come to the teaching with very very different perspectives and it all works you know and that's mm -hmm. really fun and exciting to be surrounded by people who are who are thinkers and feelers and um, like to share and even if it's a different opinion it's I think it makes it much more interesting I think that the universe is here to support you. I think also that the universe's timeline is not something that the human being typically agrees with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it might take you a little longer than you think to get the support that you want. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, I run into this question a lot because now I teach a lot of meditation mm. and a lot of mantra and on teacher trainings, that's sort of what I typically teach most of. Um, and I often get this question because it's, I feel like it's my goal to get people to cultivate a personal practice. This is something it's really important to me because it's transformed my life. And I think that anybody who has a practice can feel better just a little bit even. And I always get this question from people where they're like, but I've tried meditating and it doesn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I, I tried meditating, but I'm not feeling it. And I, 
it's it was so hard for me in the beginning to begin to have the patience to tell people that it's really not about that this is not a this is not a result based activity this is not this is not something that they should expect anything from this is a service that they're that they're doing uh, for themselves to just be with themselves, to actually be there for whatever transpires, even if they're sitting there thinking for, you know, 10 or 20 minutes, whatever, you know, how else do they use 10 or 20 minutes? And trying to get people out of this goal-based mentality and just into a space of feeling and being and non-attachment. And I think that it's similar to what you were just saying about, you know, the universe and its timeline (laughs) (laughs) and, and the human and his or her or their timeline. And, um, you know, they, they're not always aligned. And I, I completely agree with that. Tell me about teaching meditation, Tony. I'm curious because I avoid the teaching of meditation like the plague. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, my seated meditative practice that I do is very personal and I don't, yeah, when people ask me about meditation and about learning meditation, I'm always like, go away. I don't I don't really want to discuss that. <laughs> Why don't you just come here and do some asana and pranayama and we'll be good and you can go figure that out yourself. Goodbye. You know? So so tell me about teaching meditation. Well, first I mean I I definitely think that it's incredibly important to have an asana practice. <clears throat> before starting a meditation practice. Not to say that everybody has to practice asana, but, you know, I guess if we're talking about the yoga system and the eight limbs, you know, yama, niyama, asana, and then meditation is much further up the chain, right? So it is important to be in the body and use the breath and the physical movements to begin to cultivate uh, you know, the sensory withdrawal and the concentration before one can really be in a true state of meditation. But to teach meditation, or the way that I teach meditation, is integrating pranayama, some kriya, mantra, sound vibration meditation, and um, a Vedic practice of repeating a mantra and sort of tethering the brain to Abhijja, you know, seed sound. Um, And I basically just use techniques that I personally have have worked with and have embodied and try and invite people into a space of, of feeling and exploration within their own internal world. And I've, at this point, kind of developed a formula that I think works quite well, um, 
which usually, for example, I always teach in the mornings. It's the morning satsang. Like when the sun is rising is when I'm typically teaching meditation. And it starts with, you know, maybe a kapalabhati or some sort of kriya to heat the body. And then we go inward with certain mantra and then we'll do, you know, pranayama, maybe a brahmari or pratyahara, yoni mudra, and then lead into maybe a longer mantra. And then a silent meditation is always last. And I invite them to weave their bija in. So it's, it's quite formulaic and structured in the way that I teach it. Um, and the way that I teach it that way is because for me, that's how it works for me. And that's where I'm teaching from. And it's been really fun, actually, to teach meditation. And it's been really fun to watch people who thought that they would hate meditation actually walk away feeling like they enjoyed it or that they want to continue practicing in this way. Uh, oftentimes on these teacher trainings that I'm teaching meditation, people tell me that the most um, anxiety ridden idea of the teacher training for them before they showed up was this idea of meditating at sunrise every morning and then having them walk away feeling like it was not even not so bad, but nice and something that they want to leave with is cool for me. Um, so that, that's kind of how I teach it. And um, it's usually a 45-minute practice in the morning. Good. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's lovely. Cool. Um, so we're going to wrap this up because um, you have things to do and I have things to do. We're both incredibly <laughs> Success. Very busy. Um, and <laughs> so, but I've been ending these podcasts with, with four questions. Um, the first one is very self-serving, which is, do you have anything you want to ask me before we move on? Um, when will you, or do you have any plans to come to Europe, assuming, you know, everything is okay for travel within the next year or so, aside from Norway? Or I could take your class. I <laughs> I have been making no plans <laughs> because mm -hmm. I don't see the uh, benefit of it uh, at the moment since everything yeah. changes so rapidly. Also, um, the American government currently has my passport um, because uh, it was going to expire. It expires uh, in October, and so. Uh, I sent it in a while ago, and it is now in process. And in process is the only status that the United States government will currently give you for your passport. Oh, um, so <laughs> I don't know when it will return, uh, but you know. And then in October, all uh, the uh, real ID rules come into effect. So actually, uh, as of October four. First, if I do not receive my passport back, I will not even be able to take a domestic flight. So, I Whoa. know, right? Very exciting, my life. So, you know, whatever, it's fine. Um, but no, so I don't currently have any plans to come to Europe, but you can come here. Um, well, funny enough, <laughs> I, I'm actually going to be coming back to New York. Oh my God. 
Yeah, uh, not for long, just for a little visit uh, okay. in in October. So I'll probably see you there. Yes, and okay. we'll have we'll discuss. We'll have to meet somewhere. Cover here. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Second question. Um, what do you think is the mostest best thing about how we're practicing yoga currently? And you can, you know, take that as how we've been practicing yoga over the last decade or how we've been doing it in the most recent couple months or whatever you want. But what do you think is great about it? Um, I, I think moving and breathing together is really powerful. And I think using the science of yoga to uh, deal with oneself is really incredible. Um, knowing that if I change the way I breathe, I might be able to change the way I think is incredibly powerful and healing. So uh, yeah, the science of yoga to deal with modern day life, I think is a, is a huge gift and blessing. And what do you think is most lacking? What could we work on? I think we could work on integrity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just, I would like to, I would like to see more yoga teachers uh, agree with us and, and have the conversation we've had today about, about practicing their own practice first. And then, yeah, I think that's really important. That's what I'd like to see more of. You know, when I start my cult, you can come and be like in the high levels of, of the cult. Oh my God, yes. It'd be so <laughs> much fun. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in, count me in. <laughs> uh, la last thing, um, where, where do you see the yoga scape being, what do you see it looking like in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years? Hmm, that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, the first thing that came to mind is more technology, unfortunately. I, I unfortunately think that we will be practicing more and more virtually. And... Um, I really, really think that it's the most incredible thing about the Ashtanga yoga system is, you know, although people practice often in Mysore, it gives people the ability to practice on their own and it gives people the tools to have their own practice without going somewhere or watching something or listening to someone teach them and to be with, be with themselves. So I hope that I really hope that people can continue to cultivate more of their own practice instead of just practicing online or, or relying on groups or yoga studios. And somehow under the guidance of a teacher, because I think that's important as well. Well, you know, under, I tell people this, under the guidance of a teacher does not mean every day. Mm -hmm. And 
And I do think in the beginning, and honestly, um, now that we are living in a more virtual world, I have been very hesitant to take on new students because I do think in the beginning of practice, it is important to be watched um, a lot mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's, a, it's a dicey time. Lots of changes happen rapidly or can, you know. Um, but certainly as, as a practice becomes more stable and as you embody that practice, I, I, you know, see a teacher once a week, see a teacher once a month, see a teacher once every few months. Don't even talk about asana. Um, you know, when I have, you know, uh, one, of my, one of my teachers, uh, Louise, who I usually have come to New York once sometimes twice a year, and she didn't get to come this year because of COVID. Um, I get very little asana instruction from her, but I get to take her out to dinner and I get to talk about all the things I want to talk about, uh, about life, you know, <laughs> with her. and that has become a lot more important, honestly, uh, to keep me on the straight and narrow, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, con that connection with a teacher, it doesn't have to be daily. It really can be something that, and it doesn't have to be asana based. Um, you know, it can turn into something very different. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's super, super important to not just rely on the asanas, you know, and, and to like have, have people in your life that, that teach you things and listen, um, that al allow you to have transformational experiences like the one that you have with Louise. And I, I listened to your podcast with her and it was, <laughs> it was very sweet because I think at one point you, you had mentioned something like she doesn't give you adjustments or feedback in asana and you were like louise like i i'm here too like pay attention to me and she was like oh honey you're fine don't worry <laughs> it was very sweet yeah yeah <laughs> it's nice <laughs> okay then thank you for being with me tony this is such a pleasure and Thank you for having me. I know all the, the kids out there listening to this can't see your shining face, but you look good. You look great. Well, so. thank you. And the Portuguese I, son, you know? Yeah, that's right. What can I say? Um, <laughs> and I do hope to see you soon, um, which will probably be you here and not me there. Um, but thank you so much for being with you, me. And um, I will see you soon. Great. See you soon. Thank you, Michael. Thank you.